This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Well, tonight I want to talk about the story of Jericho and I want to teach. So when I, when I teach, I like to sit down, which means um, this, this sermon has less creativity and more, and more um, research done in the beforehand. Uh, you might be asking, how does, a, how does someone like me do research? Well, I watch a heck of a lot of YouTube videos. That's my go-to. Like, that is the method of, like, good, good theological understanding. There. Is they go to YouTube and, and consume as much as you possibly can. And then you, you've got to filter out the bad stuff. So that's the hard part and trying to figure that out. So hopefully I've filtered enough of it down that it makes sense tonight. Uh, and I've read a lot of commentaries and... Uh, I really wanted to get a good Jewish understanding of this story of Jericho. Einstein is famous for saying, uh, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't really understand it. And I believe that's true of our, of our faith and our good news. Uh, we need to be able to explain this in a way that a child would understand. Because God says you've got to come with childlike faith. And uh, so we're going to go back to basics. I was so close to reading the Bible all the way through. Uh, so, so close. My favorite translation of the Bible, the beginner's Bible. <laughs> when I was a child, this was the Bible on my <laughs> bedside table. And I was so close to reading it all the way through. I must have had a few pages left when my mum came and took this Bible off me and replaced it with a much more complex one, which, well, I'm still finishing the last couple of pages there, you know. I was so close, and I want to hunt down one of these beginner's Bibles and finish it off, because I tell you what, it was truly amazing. So tonight we're reading from my favourite translation. Uh, a lot of you won't have this translation on your mobile phones, so I've got it on our, on our screen so you can read along with me. Joshua and the Spies. After Moses died, Moses, a very famous man in the Old Testament, Moses, the man that set the Jews free from Israel. You know the story of parting the Red Sea and the Israelites walk through it. That's Moses leading the Israelites through it. The problem was he eventually died. And one of his really good friends, Joshua, took over leadership of the, of, of the Jewish people. He took over leadership from Moses. A lot of history, a lot of backstory, a lot of walking around the wilderness, but all you need to know is that Joshua is now the leader of the Israelites. After Moses died, Joshua became the leader of the Israelites. God led them into the promised land and he led them to a city called Jericho. The city was protected by high walls. In my research this week, I learned a lot about the city of Jericho. The Jewish people had been promised a land by God, the promised land that we now know as Israel. The promised land, that were pro that's why it's called promise, because they were promised it by God. And they were so close to entering the promised land. But in order to get into the promised land, the problem was people already lived there. And so... The Jews had to go in, the Israelites had to go in and take the land that was promised to them because God commanded them to. And so Joshua has this great idea 
that he's going to send two spies into the first city. Jericho is like the first city you go into when you're entering um, when you're entering the promised land. I've been there. I've been to like where Jericho would have been. It's like the first. If you go there in this day and age, you rock up on a tour bus and everyone stops and eats hummus and falafel. And uh, that's what you do at Jericho. It's like the first place you stop. And um, they call it the lock to the promised land. If you can conquer Jericho, if you can get into Jericho, if you can take over Jericho, you can have the whole, you'll take over the whole land. So he has an idea to send two spies into the promised land. So it was protected by high walls. You can see them there, beautifully illustrated. And he sends two spies who found a way into the city. And they went to Rahab's house. And the king of Jericho ordered his soldiers to capture the men. So in Joshua 2, this is where this story happens in the Bible. Uh, Two spies go into the promised land. And they're looking around like, how do we take over this place? How do we get through the walls? How can we conquer this whole thing? So they go into the promised land. They're looking around. And uh, they end up at Rahab's house. Now, what this Bible translation won't tell you, that other Bible translations will tell you, is that Rahab is a... uh, she is a prostitute, sells her body for money. Now, we don't know why she ended up in that profession. Perhaps she uh, got divorced or perhaps her husband died. She couldn't provide for the family, so she went into prostitution. And these two spies end up at Rahab's house, a person who is going to protect them. And the king finds out, oh, apparently there's two spies in my city. And so he orders them to go find the two spies. Rahab hid the men on her roof and when the soldiers arrived she said the spies have already gone if you hurry you may catch them so the soldiers ran off to find them so Rahab is very very nice she decides she's going to hide the spies they hide on her roof and the soldiers come and they're like Rahab where are those two men someone saw you take those two men into your house where are those two men and she says they've already gone they've run off be quick you might catch them they went in that direction The spies then get lowered down uh, Rahab's window and they say, thank you for helping us, the spies told her. When we come back, we promise to save you and your family. Then Rahab helped the spies escape. So the scene is set. The Israelites are going to somehow conquer Jericho. They don't know how they're going to do it. The walls are high. They have a small army at this point. So they sent two spies to check it out. They almost get captured. A prostitute protects them. And then we get to the Battle of Jericho, which would really take place in Joshua 6 a few chapters later. After the spies were safely home, God told Joshua, march your army around Jericho with the priests blowing their horns. Do this once a day for six days. So does God tell them, get out your swords and charge the wall with a battering ram? Does God tell them, make a bunch of ladders to climb up over the walls? A really easy way to capture cities with walls back in that day was they would just like heap land. They would just heap dirt. So they would just start digging dirt, digging dirt until they had built a, 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 a dirt ramp into the city. But did God tell them to start getting their shovels out and digging a ramp? No, he didn't. He told him, you were going to march your army around Jericho with the priests blowing their horns. Do this once a day for six days. Big old city, big old city. And God says, march your army around it. And I guess that's not how you march. That's, <laughs> this is silly. I guess 
we don't know how the Israelites marched back in that day. My sister's in the Navy. She's, she, my sister just got transferred to Canberra. She's a professional marcher. That's what she does in the Navy, which means uh, they will send her like overseas to do like marching drills for special occasions. So she might go to go, get to go to Gallipoli or like Anzac Day ceremony. She's one of the professional marchers. She's very impressive. She knows all the um, leg work and all the... Th- I don't know how the Israelites did it. The point is they marched. They marched around this city. And God said, on the seventh day, have your army march around the city seven times. So their legs are already tired. They've just been, this would be a big city. I mean, I used to, I used to run around my hometown. <laughs> I used to go around my hometown for exercise in my, the town I grew up in. It was 5,000 people, and that was eight kilometers. And I tell you what, if I tried to walk eight kilometers these days, I'd have a bad hip, bad back, bad everything. This is people of all ages marching around this city once a day for six days. And then God says, and on the seventh day, do it seven times. Whoa, they would have sore feet, especially if they're wearing sandals. These aren't Nike, these aren't Asics, you know, they're getting sore feet. On the seventh day, have your army march around the city seven times, and Joshua did exactly as God said. The priests blew their trumpets, the soldiers shouted as loud as they could, then the great walls of Jericho came tumbling down. And the Israelite army rushed in and took over the city and the spies kept their promise to Rahab and her whole family was saved. So that is the story of Jericho. That is the story. They march around the city. They do it seven times. On the seventh day, they blow their horns and they shout and the walls come tumbling down. What this translation also won't tell you is that they then went into the city and although they saved Rahab and her family, they essentially slaughtered everyone else, every living thing in the city. Pretty hectic, but you should know that is in the book. So, what can this story teach us? I'm just going to go through a few simple points that this story has taught me and if the time comes, I'll just stop my sermon and I guess that means we've learned enough for today. But certainly researching this story, I have learned a lot. This story should evoke a lot of questions within you. If it doesn't, I think you need to think about the story longer. Questions like, why, did, why is the main person in this story that God used at the beginning a, a prostitute? Like, why did God choose to use a prostitute and why did a prostitute help them? Another story you might ask is, why does God seemingly instruct the Jews to, to, why does he tell them, like genocide, why does he tell them to go kill and wipe out a whole city? Like that should be a big question in your mind. If you're a believer, God says do not murder, God says be kind to others, yet also God is saying go into that city and kill every living thing in it. Like that should be a question that arises in your mind. Do you understand? That should be a question that comes up. There are lots, why did God command them to march around the city six times, seven times on the seventh day? Why? It makes no sense. God's practical as much as he is a miracle worker. He could have given them practical information. It should ask a lot of whys. I don't have the answer to all those whys, but a lot of people have done a lot of thinking over thousands of years, and all I can do is reflect back to you what I have learnt, and we can all ponder it together, and we won't get all the answers, but we might be a little bit closer to understanding the character of our God and the story of his people, the story that we are a part of. The first lesson I want to share is this. Don't write anyone off. 
I watched a YouTube video, old Jewish rabbi, big old beard, kipper on his head, teaches very much in a Jewish manner, sitting just like this, sipping on a, sipping on a cup of water. Uh, everyone's interrupting him while he speaks because that's just the way the Jews do it. Everyone's shouting out, asking questions, and he's just trying to think off the top of his head from the learning he's done. And he said that this story predominantly is a story to the Jewish people saying, Jews, don't write anyone off and be open to taking wisdom from anyone. The Jewish people reading this story and the Jews at the time of this story, prostitutes would be bad news much like we might think of them today. They would be people who are the, the lowest of society, the lowest of society. And yet it is a prostitute who helps them in this instance. In a Jew's mind, not only was she a prostitute, she was a woman, getting help from a woman, getting wisdom from a woman, getting advice from, like get, getting hid by a woman. That was bad news. Yet in this story... God is telling his people, don't write anyone off. I don't know what your story is. You come into this room and I don't know what you've been through in your past. I don't know, I don't know what you're heading to in your future that's already on your mind. But I do know this. God has not written you off. You can play a big part in God's story. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you can play a big part in God's story if you're willing to participate in it. Similarly, you might walk into this room and think that you have it all together. You have nothing more to learn. You, you already, you're sitting in the room thinking, well, if Lewis just got all his information from YouTube, I'll go home and watch YouTube. I don't need to listen to Lewis, and that's potentially true. <laughs> go home and do your own research, people. But if you come into this room and you think, I, I don't have much to learn, well, the truth is, it's not about learning from me, it's about learning from the people in the seats next to you, no matter where they're at. Don't write anyone else off. You can learn from anyone and anything. I get my best sermon ideas when I'm just out on a walk and I'm just seeing things go on in the city of Gosford and I, I, I well, like there's an idea, there's a person helping someone, this is happening. You know, it's like I, I, I like to just be open that God could be speaking to me anywhere. God can even work through a prostitute God can even work through a prostitute. So don't write yourself off. Don't write anyone else off. Hebrews 11.31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. My second learning, have faith in what God says. The most difficult question, perhaps, is why would God command his people to wipe out an entire city? Particularly uh, when God is a God who says, do not murder. This is a difficult thing to preach in our world, even today. There is warfare over land in Israel right now. The Jewish people would say it is theirs. The Palestinians would say it is theirs. And it's like, to be honest, I don't feel comfortable taking either of those sides believing in a Jesus who says that war is not the answer but this is a hard passage to wrap your head around as a Christian the Jews are killing people to take back the promised land and uh, one of the rabbis put it like this 
He said, in this instance, God had specifically commanded his people to do what he had asked them to do. It wasn't like a generalized statement. You're going to go kill everyone in the promised land and steal it back. It was a very specific assignment in Jericho. The other thing we need to understand is that Jericho was an evil city. We learn throughout the Bible in other passages, it's alluded to the fact that this was an evil city. In fact, when God promised the promised land, originally way, way back to the first Jew, Abraham, he said, you know what, you're going to enter the promised land, but the sins have not yet come to their fulfillment in that land yet. Basically, God was saying to Abraham, you know, they're evil now, but they're going to get worse. And when they get worse, then it'll be time to take back the promised land. Jericho would have been doing things like child sacrifice. Jericho would have been doing things like uh, child slavery and, and sex slavery and all these sorts of things. Jericho would have been the evilest of the evil. They would have been greedy, only thinking of themselves. And uh, I think we need to understand that context because that is the city that Israel destroyed at that moment. An evil, evil, evil city. Jews understand it. Now, we shouldn't learn everything we learn from Jews. We should listen to the Christian theologians as well. But what a Jew would say about this story is that if you had let the city survive, the sins would have increased and they would have done exponential evil in the world. Does that make any sort of sense? I'm not saying I believe that to be true. I'm saying that is an understanding as why God might command this. He's saying if you let that city survive, if you don't wipe it out, their sins will increase and there will be more evil, more death, more darkness. So God gives this specific people a specific command that they may listen to. Do I know the answer? No, I don't. It doesn't make sense to me at all. I believe God is the same yesterday, today and forever. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Jesus is God. Jesus said a lot of stuff about peace. Ultimately, when it comes to passages like this, I need to understand that God's thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are his ways my ways. Some of these passages will never really truly be able to wrap our head around fully. Even though I've watched plenty of Jewish rabbis on YouTube this week try to wrap their heads around it. One of the Jewish rabbis who answered this question and it was just thrown at him from the audience, he said... He said, I've been waiting for someone to ask that question, and that is a good question. If you have questions like that, that's a good question. That's a good question. Because we need to grapple with the fact that we are not God, and we're not going to understand everything. Another learning point, don't give up. There has been a water ski competition out the front of my house for the last week. Water Skiing World Championships. I went and watched them this week. For context, I'm a water skier. I'm named after ski boats. You've heard me say that before. Lewis is the brand of ski boat my parents wanted, couldn't afford. Ramsey was the brand of ski boat they did own. They then test drove a Lewis and they hated it. So they bought a Raider instead. My name should be Raider Ramsey. That would be... That's a cool magician name, actually. <laughs> I water ski at about 40 to 45 kilometers an hour. Not bad, not bad. When I do it, I look cool. Dean water skis at about 40 to 45 kilometers an hour. Looks less cool, but he's new to it, so that's okay. That's okay. Uh, the water skiing world championships, though, going out the front of my house, uh, 
the roar of the boats is unbelievable. And they water ski at up to and over 100 kilometers an hour. Like you have to understand when I'm water skiing at 45 kilometers an hour, it feels fast. My arms are hurting. I can do about one lap of Gosford waterfront. That's probably equals about two Ks. And by the end of that, my arms are hurting, my knees are hurting. And it's like, I'm a pretty fit guy. So, it's, so you know, it's like I'm shaking and I just let go because like one lap is enough. Okay, Dean and Andy, it's your turn. Let's swap. These, these people out the front of my house all week have been water skiing at over 100 kilometers an hour and they just do lap after lap after lap after. I went to watch it yesterday and I love water skiing, but I got bored watching them do laps. Honestly, so fast. I cannot imagine how their arms would feel. I cannot imagine how their knees would feel. But they're running a race. They've got an assignment. They've got a challenge. And it's to keep skiing. So they hold on. Lap after lap after lap after lap. The Israelite people, I wonder how many of them stub their toe on a rock on day two. And they've got to keep marching. I wonder how many of them, they're all ages. It's all the, I wonder how many of them had back problems. Like we live in the 21st century. Put up your hand if you've got a sore back. <laughs> Imagine their backs in that day. Whoa. Would have been hard. Just marching and marching and marching. You know, and it's like, I wonder if by day six they're going, this is not, this is too much. Even to the point where they're going to march on day seven, that's the Sabbath. Jewish people aren't meant to do nothing on the Sabbath, let alone conquer a city, let alone go to battle. Yet in this instance, God's like, you're going to do it on the Sabbath. They're meant to be resting. They're like, this is my day of rest. I wonder how many of them on the sixth day were like, this is ridiculous, God. You're the one who told us to rest and you're telling us to keep marching <laughs> more than every other day. But I wonder if the Israelites knew the mission. They believed in what God had said to them. And it didn't matter how sore their backs were or how sore their feet were. I wonder if they just knew they couldn't give up because of the word of the Lord. And so they kept marching. They kept marching. They could not give up. In the NIV, it says this in Proverbs, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. That would be some patient waiting, marching, 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 marching. There's a patient people. They're not going out. They're not going out with guns. They're not going out with rockets. They're not going out with bombs. They're just marching. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. And lastly, I apologize, we'll go five minutes over today, but I'll give you two lollipops at the door. Lastly, victory comes from God. Joshua 6. Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. And the people shouted a great shout, and the walls fell down flat. 
This is a beautiful story because it is not about just Rahab. It is not about just the Jewish people who marched. It's a beautiful city because it was God who gave them the victory. In my life, maybe God will tell me to march and I'll, I'll do what he says, but it is God who makes the walls fall. God might tell me to shout and I'll shout, but it is God who will make the walls fall. God might tell me to blow my um, ram's horn and I think, God, where am I going to get a ram's horn? And I guess I would go to some obscure Jewish market in Sydney and ask if I can have a ram's horn and then I would buy the ram's horn. Then I guess I would learn how to play the ram's horn. That can't be easy. Though I did play saxophone in high school, so maybe, maybe I could figure it out. And I guess I would blow the ram's horn. But it will be God who causes the walls to fall. And in your life, no matter what it is God has told you to do, we all must understand <laughs> it's not in our doing. It's in our faith. And that is when the walls will fall. Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. The people shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat. Hmm. I feel like praying for people tonight. Perhaps Pastor Travis and Pastor Johnny can join me or anyone in the room. So we are going to worship with a song. And uh, after that song, uh, we won't play the jazz music. I'm going to stick up here and I want to pray for people because I assume there's people in this room that, A, they don't, you might feel like Rahab, you might feel like God can't use me because of my past. Yes, he can. Uh, there might be people in the room who feel like they've been marching for days. Well, I want to pray with you because I want you to be patient. There might be people in the room who have this sense that God is telling them something. And uh, I want you to know that it is God who will bring that to pass, not yourself. So after the worship today, uh, we're going to keep that atmosphere of, of soft music. And uh, I want to pray with people, or maybe you just want to sit and pray with people beside you. If not, someone's going to have to run into the logistics cupboard, find the, car, find the jar of candy, and hand out the candy at the door, because I'm going to be up here trying to pray. And uh, make sure you visit Rachel at the Compassion Stand as well. So that's a beautiful ministry. God, I pray for everyone in this room, no matter where they're at. Uh, I thank you for the Jewish teachers and rabbis that I listened to this week on YouTube. I thank you that it's so easy to access information these days. And I pray everyone would go and learn and teach themselves. God, I, I pray that we would uh, take something from this story that is thousands of years old, even though it seems crazy. Uh, God, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are better than our thoughts. So God, would you teach us what we are meant to learn in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.